You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you will, take your Bible this morning and turn to 1 John chapter 1. And uh, just want to reiterate the refrain of that song, Only There, and I hope that uh, you will find your rest in Him. I love how that song ends. It's, it's we can't and we must, and then it ends with I will. And uh, there's a choice we each take, uh, must make. And can I just say to you this morning, no matter your biggest flops and failures, no matter what they are, you still today are as, cho- as close to God as you choose to be. If His grace is sufficient, if his mercy is more, as we sing all the time here, then it's your move and it's my move. And so just want to encourage you with that and I hope that you'll draw great hope from that and challenge as well. First John chapter 1, you're with us if you're with us for the first time this weekend, our wellness weekend, as we work through how, Bible, how the Bible speaks to real life issues as it relates to the interior health of who we are before the Lord. And we've been looking at this theme of guilt this weekend and how God can Deliver us from it and work even through it to redeem uh, our lives to his purpose and plan. A couple things of note before we jump into our text today. First of all, thank you to those giving to our Amen Project. We're a little over halfway to what we need to get our carpet ordered to redo the flooring and all of this part of the building. And so thank you to those of you who have given to that, some that are planning on giving today. Um, And then secondly, I just want to say a special thank you to those who stayed late last night. And some of you that are up in years, you had to leave. We won't hold that against you. But it was, seriously, it was a joy to watch those who was past their bedtime and they were buying desserts that they made themselves um, to support our teenagers. And with our theme this year of Regenerate, I can't tell you how important that is. Um, And it blessed my heart to see it. Thank you. And I'm excited about what God's doing, not just in us, but uh, what he's going to do in the future as we stay faithful to him. Thank you for your faithfulness this weekend. First John chapter 1, let's look, if you will, at verse 5. We're going to read down through the end of the chapter. We talked about last night dealing with guilt between us and others, and want to today uh, talk about guilt between us and God, and a heavy subject, but I think an uplifting study as we apply it to our lives uh, even this morning. First John chapter 1 Let's begin in verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Wow. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship uh, one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So you see both there, right? The horizontal and the vertical. That's the key verse of our weekend. Verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then this glorious verse, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. Can we say that together? All unrighteousness. I love that. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so looking at today, dealing with unresolved guilt with God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this sweet time we've enjoyed together this weekend. Thank you for what you've done in my heart through others that have faithfully served you and sacrificed, those that stayed late last night to clean up, and all the prep that's gone into this weekend. We thank you for it. Thank you for the newest person in the room that's visiting with us for the first time. 
to the most faithful member, Lord, that's been sacrificially giving and praying and partnering with us in this journey you have us on as a local church. We thank you for everybody in between. We pray you would help us now as we open your word and open our hearts and minds. The Lord often are not as healthy as they should be, not as whole as they should be. And that, Father, we would allow your truth to convict us, to challenge us, to comfort us, and, Lord, most importantly, to change us to be more like your Son. Bless this study. Be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Yesterday morning, we were prepping for last night and today, and, and uh, one of the things on our list was our dog. His name is Mo. For those of you who are new, got a haircut, got a grooming. And uh, we were kind of joking about, I think this was either the first time that he got groomed. He, he doesn't shed. He's hyperallergenic, which is good for my allergies, but that means you have to take him in. He turns into a fur ball. It seems like overnight, he's just this walking piece of fur and all that's connected to that fur. And so I met, he was just, just had gotten him, and this may have been his first or second grooming. And we, we have not had a lot of dogs ourselves, and so this was a whole new experience. And so we just picked one of the kind of obvious choices in town. I won't pick on this company or this establishment, but it didn't go so well, okay? And it probably was our dog's fault for the most part. But basically what happened is we dropped him off, and I can't remember if Heidi dropped him off or me and the boys, but we, the three of us, picked him up. And so she gave us the window of time, and we came back, the three of us, to pick up the dog. And we walked in, and we knew something had gone down. The, the dog and the groomer were not, they didn't like each other, okay, at this point. Mo had a half-done grooming, so he had this weird, funky, like, like a puff of extra hair on the back of his head just sticking out randomly. Half his rear end wasn't trimmed. I mean, he just looked like this weird, misshapen and then, and so I noticed that, and there's some of his hair just kind of on the floor there in the lobby. And then I look, so I see him first, and then I see the lady that we had knew was grooming him, and she looked traumatized. I'm not kidding you. She looked like she needed serious counseling, and she just, in fact, I noticed she had like some nicks on her hand, uh, bleeding. And, and so I walk, what would you do if you walked into that moment? I'm like, I didn't know what to do. Like, are we done, or... And so all I could think was say, and the boys would probably remember this, is I said, do I pay you? Uh, and, and she, with her bit hand, just kind of waved me out. She didn't say anything. She just kind of, just get your dog and get out of here. That was the end of our conversation. And so she probably giving me death looks when I see her in town. I, don't, I haven't seen her lately. But traumatized, unresolved issues between our dog and her groomer, his groomer. Um, do you ever feel like that's you and God where there's, we're not in sync? Because you read of God in the Bible and you see him, him sweetly and powerfully working in people's lives. There's communion, there's fellowship, the power of God, the presence of God is evident in other people's lives, even in your world today. And you and God just seem to not be in sync. There's a lot of reasons for that, but I would encourage you, probably a lot of it has to do with the text and the subject matter of 1 John chapter 1. And we will never be whole and we'll never be everything God intends us to be, even in a broken world, until there is nothing between my soul and the Savior. And so I hope today God will challenge you as well as provide for you hope there's a way forward if that's how you feel this morning. One author said this in relation to the conscience and in this area of counseling and getting help as we need it. He said this, the conscience, may be the, the conscience may be the most underappreciated and least understood attribute of humanity. Psychology uh, usually is less concerned with understanding the conscience 
and more concerned with attempting to silence it. And a lot of our therapy and a lot of the intervention we have in our day is to medicate our way out of a guilty conscience, to dull the, the effects of that. Listen to me, when the conscience, when it's submitted to the Spirit and the Word, is one of the greatest assets that God has given us. And it's not the end. It's not just, I want to feel guiltless. It's when I am not guiltless, when my conscience is right before the Lord, I have close, intimate fellowship with Him. And so this conscience God has given us, the sense of guilt that maybe plagues us this morning, needs to be directed and applied by God. See, your guilt is not just a feeling or a personal problem. It really is about your relationship with God. So how you deal with it affects your view of God, affects your relationship with God in a very specific way. Now, 1 John chapter 1, the context here quickly is that John is trying to communicate how to have fellowship with God in the real world, with our flesh, with our failures, and with all the failures and flesh of those around us. And so we want to talk about today how we can, instead of ignoring or denying guilt, instead deal with it in a way that pleases the Lord and positions us closer to Him. So today, let's talk about this. Our study is there in your bulletin. It will be the last of the three outlines. I think that one is labeled correctly. Those who process guilt proactively do so with a two-part trade, swapping out some things that, sanction, that are sanctioned by God himself. All right, so let's talk about the first one of these found in the first part of our study today. Number one, uh, we need to be willing to lose dirty habits. Can you advance that there? Thank you, Pastor Dave. Losing uh, the dirty habits that plague uh, our day-to-day. Um, a friend of mine was in Lowe's the other day, and he posted a picture um, and then this caption. So he had a little conversation with his young boy. So they're in Lowe's. They see these. I don't know if you can tell what they are or not. But the son says to his dad, why are these doorknobs so heavy? <laughs> and the pastor friend of mine said, I have failed as a father. If my son thinks those are doorknobs, you know what those are, right? Ladies, do you know? Is everybody tracking with me? Hitches, right? Um, do you know in our lives that as we process the things that are behind us, a lot of times we are dragging with us things that we should have let go of years ago, decades ago, habitual ways of thinking and feeling and processing things uh, that continue to weigh us down as we move forward with the Lord. And so we need to let go of these dirty habits that continue to contaminate us and, constrict and restrict us. Uh, we need God's help in that to let go of these things. One author said this, the cross never makes itself an ally with the sin that it must crush. And a lot of times we're pulling, we're trying to pull with God, but we're not letting go of the things that the cross of Jesus Christ doesn't want to negotiate with or form a treaty with or a truce. It wants to crush them. And so we have to let God cleanse us and free us from these things that we tend to hold on to in our habitual thinking. So let's talk about two of them as it relates to this guilt thing and how losing dirty habits helps us uh, to that end. Number one, jot this down there in your notes, now on the slide. Ignoring guilt before man, so let's talk first about ignoring it before man or others, leaves us in dirty darkness. So this dirt that clings to our souls and to our consciences, ignoring guilt before man will leave us in a place of dirty darkness. Uh, John chapter 3 and verse 19 says this, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love what? Darkness rather than light because their deeds were 
evil. And so we tend to gravitate toward when we feel guilty toward not the light, but toward darkness. And John talks about a couple of areas that we tend to gravitate toward when we're feeling guilty in a dysfunctional way. Look at verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. The message that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Number one, we often tend to give too much attention to darkened teaching. So John says, here's the message we have from God, but we tend to believe the teachings of others that fit our, our desire to hide or to cloak away, to, 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 to keep from the discernment and the scrutiny of others um, the guilt that is in our souls and in our lives. Now, nowhere in Scripture does Jesus actually say these words in verse number five that we see recorded. But if you remember John, who's the human author writing this first John, Remember at the end of John, he says, and many other things, many other things that Jesus say and do. And so possibly, I would say likely, because John here seems to be directly quoting, he's quoting from something else that Jesus said, not recorded in scripture until 1 John. That's interesting to me. But a statement or a teaching from the lips of Jesus Christ. And so what does Jesus say here? He says that God as light exposes man's sin and condemns man's sin with the light of his presence. And so if we walk in darkness, we're hiding from the truth, we're distancing ourselves from the God in whom is no darkness and who is always light. Key statement today, to deal with unresolved guilt, we need, we need more than mutual commiseration and self-reflective therapy. We need more than that, commiseration and self-reflective therapy. We need a renewal of the unadulterated teachings of Jesus, who is the light of the world. Um, there is, listen, I, there is things outside of the scriptures that God has given us because we're human beings. He made in his image that we figured out and studied. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of babble out there. There's a lot of teaching of how to numb the guilt, to try to hide the shame that is killing us, that's eating us up from the inside out. And so we've got to leave those dark teachings, those dim teachings, and come back to the teaching clearly of God in his word. You're in 1 John. Go to Matthew for just a moment. Chapter 6, Jesus in his earthly ministry makes a very direct statement um, that is convicting to me because I think I often think I'm walking in the light when in reality at times I realize I'm not. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 23. Would you look at it quickly? Hold your place there in 1 John. He says in verse 23 of Matthew 6, but if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. Now notice the end of this verse. If therefore the light, I would put that in quotes in your mind, if the light, what you claim to be the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? You know what that means? When you think you have light and actually that's a dark teaching or belief or philosophy, that's darker than the guy that knows he's living and walking in light of darkness. We deceive ourselves. We convince ourselves that what the society, what society accepts and tolerates and we keep lowering the bar of what's deviant and what digresses from God's word. As a result, we never can deal with this guilt that plagues us. Um, I don't know if you like trail mix or not. I like certain parts of trail mix, okay? The raisins, I, I could opt out of those at any time, okay? Have you ever had somebody give you a chocolate, kip, uh, chocolate chip cookie you thought, and it was raisins? And you have trust issues, probably still because of that. I do too. Um, I, I would, I'd rather have trail mix without 
without that. Usually it's like 90% peanuts and raisins. And then you get the occasional knockoff M&M if you had the trail mix I had when I was growing up. Somebody said this, the Bible is not a bag of trail mix. We don't get to pick and choose what we want out of it. And I think where we are most unresolved in our guilt before God that, that, is, that is eating us from the inside out, it's where we're picking and choosing. And the things that we're choosing to not accept, that's the crux of the issue between us and a God who is light and a God who never changes. And so first of all, uh, ignoring the guilt before man as we live it out before man uh, causes us to live in a place of dirty darkness. We tolerate teaching that is not what God would have. All right, go back to our text in 1 John. And notice now the end of this section, verse 6, he says, if we say, so God gives us a message. Now verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Number two, not only darken teaching, but darken speech. We start believing our own press clippings. We, we start believing what we're saying and claiming instead of believing what God has spoken himself. And so light and darkness cannot coexist and yet we try with our words to convince ourselves that I can be in the light and yet tolerate this darkness. The two cannot mix. In this room, either darkness is ruling and reigning or light is, right? Light and darkness do not co-inhabitate a space. And so often where we think we're in the light, because of the little bit of darkness, we tolerate and excuse and often claim with our words, we're dispelling the light of God's presence. Just as with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation in Romans chapter 10. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, the mouth is powerful in a positive way. It allows us to have relationship with God. But number two, it also, our mouth can lead us very far from God, right? We talk our way out of it. We talk our way into it, and it defies the clear teaching of God's Word. Have you ever noticed with your conscience that your conscience tends to be very black and white? Like either you're right or you're wrong. And I found in my life, I don't know if you have, that life includes a lot of gray areas from my perspective. Where it's, and so my conscience at times struggles to identify, man, is this right or is this wrong? And, and, and different angles and people's perspectives and opinions uh, about it. And because of this tendency of the conscience to make everything so distinctly black or white, listen, it is important that our personal convictions are shaped by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God that helps us make sense of those gray areas where we tend to, our conscience tends to give a verdict that's based on man's words and man's feelings and man's perspective, something that will never lead us to be free of guilt. So kind of this word of, or question of application, and we'll move on. I want you to think about this question. Are only words that accommodate instead of confront what define your life? Like, do you have words in your life that are being said to you that regularly challenge your thinking? Or is everything you listen to and read, does it all feed the narrative and conclusions that you've already arrived at? We will never be free of the dark places where we go to hide out until we let the bright truth of Jesus first expose and then free us from that guilt. Let God's words, let God's thoughts be what help us in this area. All right, go down to verse 8. We'll come back to verse 7 in a moment, but look if you will at verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, notice this, and the truth is not in us. 
So denying guilt, first of all, takes us to a place of dirty darkness. Number two, denying guilt before God will leave us in dirty ignorance. So it leads us not only to darkness. Number two, it brings us, number two, um, to a place of defiled ignorance. Some of you I know are not on social media, and probably you're the smart ones in the room. Um, but those of us that are for different reasons... Um, the the um, and a lot I'm not as much on Instagram as, as some in the room, but the filters. Do you track with anybody who overfilter themselves? Like you see them, they're they're aging, and yet online they look like they're you know they have perfect complexion. Um, I have some friends of mine. It like just give me a real picture, okay? Um, and and the sad thing is, if they use the filters, I don't know if you're familiar. It'll basically make you look younger, smooths away all the wrinkles and imperfections. Um, is that anybody in a picture with them gets stuck being submitted to that same filter. Have you seen this? So you've got little kids still being airbrushed by some filter that's being imposed, superimposed onto that picture. Um, a friend of mine said this the other day. I love this. He said, there is no photo filter so strong that it changes how God sees you. You know what? That's what scares me the most and challenges me the most, and it also gives me hope this morning, is that the God who loves me sees me for who I really am. That is unbelievable. And then we, we saunter into his presence and try to airbrush before him things that he knows already and has already declared his love and acceptance and, and standing we have if we know Jesus Christ as Savior. And we're so dumb and ignorant that we think we can convince him otherwise and convince ourselves and anybody else around us. And so denying guilt before God leads us, the blunt truth is, to a very stupid place, a very dull, dumb perspective on our relationship with God. Now, we're going to talk about verse 7, which is the really good news. We'll, we'll land with that today. But it's interesting that on either side of verse 9, the best verse of this chapter is verse 8 and 10, which are two kind of default ways that we try to avoid what we're supposed to do in verse 9, which is to confess, to say about our sin what God says about it. And these are both ignorant moves on our part. So let's talk about these quickly. Number one, in verse 8, we often are tempted to fall into ignorant subjectivity. Everything's in question, and we just kind of twist and custom tailor the truth to our convenience and to our preferences. Everything is subjective. That's what we're living in, right? If I had to describe our age, I can't think of a better word than just blatant subjectivity. Everything is open for discussion. Everything is open for um, reevaluation, tweaking it however conveniently fits uh, our narrative. And so here in verse 8, we notice that denying our guilt before God causes us to be ignorant by accepting where we should not subjectivity. When a believer is experiencing true fellowship with God, he often is tempted to think that in this moment now I haven't sinned and, and I'm pure in this moment. And John challenges us with this verse in verse 8 that even when we're right with God or we think we're right with God, positionally we are, but practically there's always some area that we have failed before the Lord. A lot of dealing with guilt is just a humble recognition. There's always something I've missed that already I've got wrong with God. Um, the psalmist says, keep your servant from presumptuous sin. Cleanse me from secret faults. Not just secret to others, but I might have even missed it. God sees it and God can cleanse it. And so instead of excusing it, we allow God to know us and to search us and to cleanse us 
uh, with his spirit and his word. Now, at the end of verse 8, you notice it says, not only do we deceive ourselves, there's the chosen ignorance. He says, and the truth is not in us. If the truth is in us, it controls us, it motivates us, it directs us, and this self-deception eliminates that activity of truth in our lives. Um, Fellowship this morning with God requires that we acknowledge the truth concerning ourselves. And what is that truth? That we still have a sin nature and we regularly fail Him. And He still loves us, loves us, loves us. That is the truth. Um, You ever heard the term before, false guilt? That's a very popular term and expression, and maybe you've used it. I have at times in my life. And I think I understand what folks are saying when they say, I think maybe you're struggling with a sense of false guilt. But that term comes from a guy named Freud. Have you ever heard of the guy? A guy who has not contributed some of the best things about our society, and especially our thinking on psychology and counseling, psychiatry. False guilt. I would challenge you to find in Scripture that term being validated or put forward, false guilt. You know that guilt, when we feel it, usually there's a reason for it, a good reason for it. And often what we dismiss as false guilt is really just a denial of the truth about what God's Word says and where we have fallen short of God's standard. Is it possible to have a wrong sense of guilt? Yes, but guilt is something we must address before um, the Lord. In fact, I would submit to you, it's possible to do a right thing, something that's not wrong intrinsically, and yet it's still wrong. And here's the premise for that, because that probably makes your brain uh, wonder, where's he going with this? In Romans 14 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, you could read them on your own time, um, it warns us that we must always obey our conscience. To reject what we feel is wrong, to go ahead and do it, is to sin against our conscience, this point of reference that God has given us. Um, And so we must be honest before the Lord. Always, every time you you deny or you reject what your conscience says, in God's sight, according to Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8, it's sin. Even if the action itself is not sin. Why? Because your intention was to sin. That's a thought to chew on this morning. Our conscience is a reference point. We must be honest before the Lord. So here's what we're to do. What if I'm thinking something's wrong that isn't wrong? I need to get in God's word and retrain my conscience, right? That's the truth. That's the application that we must live in light of with the help of God's word and God's spirit. Some would say that guilt is just the byproduct of traditions and things we've passed down uh, that folks make us feel this is wrong when it's right or feel that it's right when it's wrong. Have you ever thought about the lengths we go to to not feel guilty? The things we consume, the things we focus on. Um, some people overeat, some overexercise. I don't know that I've ever been guilty of that one, but some may do that. Um, some shop, some drink, some do drugs, some sleep too much, some can't sleep at all. Why would we go to all that trouble to try to numb our hearts and minds and souls from guilt if it's not even real? Guilt is not the product of tradition. It's not just a a human invention to control or manipulate people. It has been embedded in us by God himself. And so we must live in light of the truth instead of accepting subjectivity to deny the guilt. All right, the second one in verse 10, quickly. I know some of you, I just gave you something to chew on for a while. Think on that. Let me know your thoughts on it, questions you have on it. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him who? 
the God who's faithful and just, we'll come back to in just a moment. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. Number two, not only ignorant subjectivity, but ignorant disrespect. We disrespect God when we deny that we are guilty before him. To, not, to deny one's personal sin in the face of God is to make God out as a liar because God has said we have sinned. We are guilty. His law declares that. It stops every mouth. It makes us all guilty before him. And so may we not call God a liar uh, as we deny our guilt. Think about this. Calling God a liar is never going to lead us to a place of greater healing and wholeness, right? Because the God who gives us that healing and wholeness, we're, we're basically mocking him. We're rejecting what he has said about us. And so coming to him involves integrity, being honest instead of denying and ignorance. Listen to these words. These to me give great hope to not fall into this ignorant, dirty place of denying guilt. Here it is. Fellowship with God, I would jot this down if you're taking notes, fellowship with God does not require lives of sinlessness, but requires that all our sins should be brought into his presence, confessed and forsaken. Can I read that again? Fellowship with God does not require lives of sinlessness, but rather requires that all of our sins should be brought out into his presence, confessed and forsaken. So for us to come into his presence and be a hypocrite is the worst thing for our relationship with him. We don't come to him with perfection. We come to him with authenticity. We come to him with honesty. And God in that moment works in our lives. One evangelist I heard said this, a seared conscience disfigures the soul. Uh, if you sear your conscience, it's going to affect you, your soul, who you are before God, who you connect with God with in the very core of your being. Do not... Deny. Do not be ignorant of what your conscience is saying. Um, one of the things we deal with in our modern culture is we label things as disease, don't we? And I'm not picking on anyone today. I have no one in mind. I have no specific issue in mind. But the tendency is not to acknowledge sin, is to make ourselves victims, right? And to, to allow that narrative to be what often feeds our minds and hearts. I found it's easier to say I'm sick than I'm a sinner. Have you found that to be true? And whatever word you use besides the word sick, it's very easy to just find something, anything that avoids me having to say, I sinned. I am guilty. I need to own that before the Lord. Someone said this, God doesn't forgive victims with excuses. He forgives sinners who admit they have no excuse. And so may we come to God uh, in this way, losing the dirty habits that perpetuate this guilt we have before God. All right, now let's get to the positive. Number two, let's talk for a few minutes about some commitments we can make that will cleanse us. So it's not just about losing the dirty habits and mindset that we talked about. There's also the proactive, the thing that we put on to replace that which we have put off. Any of you notice that if you ever have, and I'm looking around as I'm saying this, I think I saw some the other day, um, glitter, like glitter, literally, once it gets in a space, you never, ever, ever get it all out. Have you noticed this? Um, there's a parody uh, news organization. Uh, they had this heading, just told, this is not a true story that I know of. Um, here's the heading, heading of the news story. Archaeologists uncover glitter still in the early church's carpet VBS in AD 150. It still was there when they uncovered the church carpet, okay? We're getting ready to replace the carpet here. 
Um, it just stays. The other day I was in a meeting. I think this was with Brother Edmondson uh, with Medical Mission Outreach that we support. And he was saying that, because they receive a lot of cards being missionaries, that their kids, they make them open up the envelope and before they pull the card out, look and see if there's glitter. And if there is, they make them open the card just enough they can read it and they throw it away. Like they, it's like, like, I mean, they're surgically oriented. So they may even take out white gloves, you know, and like put it into, we don't want to get glitter into our personal space. Um, This idea of cleansing and purity. Have you noticed that every time you get right with God, literally, even while you're praying that prayer, some other thing starts to creep in, right? It's a discipline that's ongoing. This is not a come to the altar and bear your soul about some dark secret hiding in a closet one time in your life that may be needed, but it's every day. It's a battle. It's a struggle. And, and so we need these commitments in place that will help sustain um, this cleansing process that God promises to his people. And by the way, our commitment is not just to disciplines, it's to a person. Notice how God here features who he is, and specifically his son Jesus, that provides for us this cleansing. Um, somebody said this recently. They said, if you want to see people change, nothing can do it. Not guilt, not shame, not scolding, not law, not even inspiration or, quote, practical steps. Like holding up the glory of Jesus can't. Just seeing Jesus knowing him, having relationship with him. Nothing will cleanse us on a more regular basis than having personal relationship with him. So here's kind of the thought, and then we'll unpack this in the time we have left. What we do after we get initial forgiveness is the key in this area. Um, What we tend to do is, I messed up, God, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? God's cleansed me. And then we don't change anything else versus ongoing commitments of maintenance that help us Uh, to move forward out of the thing that we're most guilty of and prone to. So let's talk about that. Number one, these would be the positives. Try to encourage you. This is worth it to admit and own your guilt. Admitting guilt before man will lead us into clean fellowship. So admitting guilt, owning it before man and our relationships will lead us into clean fellowship. Go back to verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in light, notice this, we have fellowship one with another. Number one, when we admit this guilt, it gives to us unhindered fellowship between us and others around us. Unhindered fellowship. And so this light, living in the light, living with honesty and integrity before others allows us to have relationship with them. I hope you didn't watch it, but maybe you saw some news articles or responses to it. Did you hear about the Grammys last Sunday night and the specific overt, in-your-face, satanically-themed and laced um, presentations? I, I don't even think it's appropriate probably to look at half the pictures associated with that moment. Um, it's amazing to me, the world. Why are we still shocked by it? I don't know why we are, but, and I would guess probably the halftime show tonight may also lean. I don't think you probably should watch that, just my own take on it, my own personal sanctification commitment but the world is so in your face. And if you notice the things that they do always involve turning the lights down. Mm-hmm. You notice that? Not against the lights being down necessarily, but the men love darkness, don't they? Um, I don't know if you've thought about this, but the world has a hard time getting along with itself unless it involves alcohol and drugs 
and darkness and pulsating music, for them to even stand each other, they've got to try to get all of those things in place to forget all the issues going on in their own souls. And we probably all struggle with that in some areas of our own lives as well. Do you know that when we deal with guilt in the light, we can get along in ways and at levels the world will never arrive at? Not because we're better, but because God's grace is at work in us. And so in the light, and when we're honest about where we're at and where we're not, it allows us to have communion with one another that otherwise is not possible. Um, one of the spirits of why we do these wellness weekends once a year at our church and out of our church at other churches, that would be kind of the spirit of this statement. I just the other day saw this. Someone said, if our churches are places where people can't be honest about their struggles, we're creating sanctuaries for fake people. Like We have to get real. If we're going to have relationship with each other, we have to be real before God. We have to be real before one another. I don't, I don't know what my thought is on altar calls and people coming forward and showing ex- externally brokenness and repentance in our assembly, but I don't think we're, we're anywhere close to overdoing that. When's the last time you've heard someone in this room own a sin in their life in a very specific, nuanced way? It's happening in our small groups. I'm grateful for that. But, but is, that, is that comfortable for us? If our teenagers are struggling with that, is this a place that's, that's normal for them to see others doing that? Some of you, I've never heard you own something in your life, and maybe I don't have that privilege. But does someone else, being honest, being open, letting God from that not divide us, but bring us closer together. You impress people at a distance. You influence them when you're up close. And here's what I found when we get up close. We see the warts, bumps, and wrinkles, don't we? Minus the filters of Instagram. It just, it's a part of it. And so we must draw near by being open about where uh, we have issues in our lives. Unhindered fellowship. And then notice the end of verse 7. He says, And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Number two, sanctifying fellowship. So we don't just get together to air our dirty laundry or to just get something off our chest, we get together and we're honest before the Lord together because it sanctifies us, sanctifying fellowship. John here does not promote that Christians are now sinless. He provides uh, the answer to that, which is the continuing effect of the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse and to purify us from all sin. And so as long as there's true openness in the light of God's truth, Christians' failures are under the cleansing power of the shed blood of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? As we bring it before him, there's this continuous cleansing of God going on in our lives. A lot of our issues with guilt this morning are the result of lacking an appreciation for or application of the ongoing cleansing of the blood of Jesus. I don't know that we really believe in the blood of Jesus as much as we say we do. Yeah, it saves my soul, but it can cleanse me today. It can scrub me. It can, it can free me of the worst thing that I've ever done or been guilty of, the worst thing I for, the best thing I've never been able to achieve and do. The blood of Jesus avails much. It is the power. It is the source of our cleansing. As it relates to shame, somebody said this, if your experience with Christianity has left you with more guilt and less joy... You have found religion, not Jesus. Religion brings guilt and shame. Jesus brings forgiveness and joy. Religion is about what you do for God. Jesus is about what God has done for you. We're free, but we're only free when we're honest with God and honest with one another 
when our flesh runs and hides from the provision given to us only in Christ. And so admitting the guilt before man, being honest with one another, leads to clean fellowship. The reason our lives are filled with so much loneliness and shallow, strained fellowship with God and man is unresolved guilt, unresolved guilt that the blood of Jesus boldly says is not necessary. We don't have to keep putting up with it. We can be free of it if we'll simply yield to God's truth. All right, lastly, go to verse 9, and this would be the key verse of the chapter. Probably my favorite verse in 1 John, obviously, and one of my favorite in all of the New Testament. He says this, if we confess our sins, so if we stop doing verse 8 and verse 10, and instead, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number two, jot this down, confessing guilt before God leads us into clean promises. So it leads us into clean fellowship. Number two, it leads us into clean promises. I was joking the other day, a couple weeks ago, about the price of eggs. Have you tracked with the increase on eggs? And uh, some of you sacrificed greatly for the desserts last night, now that I think about it, all those eggs that we invested. Um, but several have been posting like things about eggs, and Miss Heather Reed was posted. Was it on a mirror, like between a door, like tucked into a side mirror, was a 12-pack of eggs? Um, you know, them flouting their wealth, you know. Um, and... Uh, and she was kind of tongue it. She tagged me in the post. And, and then one of the comments at the bottom was Miss Katie. I don't know if she was baking for um, the, the auction last night or what, but she said, she dropped an egg. And she said, now cooking is so stressful. Like if I drop an egg, that's a serious hit financially, okay? And Pastor Nathan comes home and Katie has to admit we broke the budget because I just broke, you know, two eggs. Um, but the stress of that. Can I ask you a question today? Does your relationship with God feel like, as we would say, walking on eggshells? If it feels that way, that is not how God intends it to be. Where, what I'm talking about is not just past guilt, but I might really mess it up today. And so there's this, this very hesitant, timid, that is not the spirit of 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. In fact, God loves us so much, he tells us, I know you're going to mess up. And I have provided sure, steady provision for you. You know what that does for me? That doesn't make me live recklessly and carnally with a flippancy, but it gives to me confidence. It's not if, it's when I'm going to mess up today or this week, and it's already there. The provision is there. The promise is there. We're not defined by our fears. We're not defined by our context, our circumstances. We are defined by the promises of God. That's our identity. Um, and that's true not just when we got it perfect, but when we mess it up most royally. God gives to us promises of cleansing. And so it's not based on our performance. It's based upon his promises. And notice the two things he gives us in relation to his promises. First, they are faithful promises. Do you notice that? If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is faithful. His promises are faithful. I would guess one of the reasons we struggle with the promises of God is because others have not been faithful. And we've talked about the guilt of our own souls and lives, but others are guilty, right, of disappointing us and failing us and hurting us and taking advantage of us. There's a lot of that represented in the room today. May I remind you that despite all of that, God is faithful. He always delivers on what he has promised, not just to perfect people, because there isn't that category amongst us, but his promises to very flawed people. He is 
faithful. And when I am most unfaithful is when he most proves his faithfulness to me. See, we focus on where we have failed, and we focus on where we are unfaithful, and yet God proves himself over and over, I am faithful. I was talking with Miss LeVon before church today, and we were talking about this concept of I can't forgive myself. Um, that's not a scriptural principle. I understand what someone's saying and trying to let go of that, trying to forget, but we have not offended ourselves. We have not violated our own laws. We've violated God's laws. It is ultimately between us and God. And to focus on that, listen, is to question the character of God, to hold on to things that we've confessed and we've forsaken and we're trying to move forward, but it lingers in our heads and hearts, is to doubt or even defy and question the faithfulness of God. God has said he is faithful. And so guilt is an objective experience. If we failed him, we need to get right with him. But shame, that's where the subjectivity comes in, and we feel ashamed. And God offers to us a better way of dealing with our guilt. The reason we're talking about guilt this weekend is I do think a lot of anxiety and depression, not all of it, in fact, probably not even most of it, but a, a line share, some portion of it, a large chunk of it, uh, is the result of unresolved guilt. We're anxious, we're bitter, we're defensive, we're depressed. We're trying everything and everybody except the God who just faithfully says, I'm still here, guys. I'm still here if you will confess I am faithful. Coming to him. And the hard part is this, isn't it? The one who can cleanse and forgive us is the one that we failed. And it's hard to come into his presence because we're focused more on where I failed than what he has promised in his faithfulness if I will just come. So may we prove his faithfulness by claiming his promises, especially when we fail him. All right, lastly, in verse 9, he says, he is faithful, notice, and just. He is faithful and he is just. Judicial forgiveness means forgiveness from the penalty of sin, which the sinner receives when we receive Christ as Savior. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, you need that today. Desperately, you need that. You have no guarantee of getting out on this road and getting home safely today. You need the judicial forgiveness of God, and God is just. He must deal with sin, either through Christ or through you owning it and paying for it on your own. And so it is a, there is that aspect of it. But then what about once we're a believer and we fail God? Where do we look? Where do we turn? Is there provision for that as well? And here John says this book is written to believers. First John is written to believers. He says that God is also just in providing forgiveness for us once we're a believer. It is a parental forgiveness. It's kind of like when our kids mess up. I don't know if your kids aren't perfect like mine are, and they would say, yeah, neither are you, Dad. Um, there'll be that love, I'm sure. Um, but when you, when you come alongside your child and correct them, or they even own something they've done to you, which when they're teenagers, at least if they were like me when I was a teenager, never happens, okay, uh, on their own. Um, but if you own something you've done as a child, there's no question of relationship, right? There's not a disowning. Maybe you've been tempted to think of that at times, parents. Um, but there's already relationship. It's just restoring the fellowship, right? And so there's that provision through our faithful God. He is just... Uh, he is faithful. We come to him with uh, our guilt and with our failures. God is guaranteed to forgive, but only if we come to him and confess. We have to do our part. Now, I want you to think about this as we kind of bring this to application today. You would think that John would say in verse 9, if we confess our sins, God is kind and merciful. 
Don't, don't you kind of almost wish that was in the text, at least when you first read it? But when you hear him say in verse 9, he's faithful. I guess I like that one. But just, like if I said to you, you have a court hearing and there's a big, there's something you've been accused of that's very serious. And I said to you, the leading characteristic of this judge that's going to hear your case, no bench, it's just going to be a bench trial, no jury. He is a just judge. I would dread that court hearing for you and if it were me. But I want you to think about this. Is not it a gift that God is just? And I want you to look at the beginning of chapter 2 because this, this speaks to this justness that should, instead of driving us from his presence when we fail, should draw us close to him. He says this, middle of verse 2, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. He paid for our sins, not for our sins only, but also the sins of the whole world. John deliberately on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit chose the word just. And I want you to think about this. In these two words, faithful and just, lie the Christian's secret for a cleansed and peaceful conscience. The reason for John's unusual choice of words, according to one commentator, was this, because it uh, becomes clear when you read ahead, as we just read, 1 John 2, 1 and 2. Propitiation is the sacrifice that turns aside the justly deserved wrath of God, completely satisfies all his righteous demands for justice. Now listen to this. This is key. Christian, Christ is your propitiation. He has already turned aside God's wrath against you by absorbing all of it into himself on the cross. If you then as a Christian commit a sin, which we do every day, and repentantly confess that sin to God, God would be unfaithful and unjust to refuse to forgive you. That's amazing. And so he is just because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We can come boldly to him over and over and over about the same dumb thing we keep messing up because he's just. And for us to not come to him is to accuse him of being otherwise. And so our stains before God are not about our performance, but about God's promises coming to him these promises that free us, as 2 Peter 1, 4 says, from the corruptions of this world. All right, let's land in Romans 8. Would you go there for a moment? Appreciate your kind attention today. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1. And this would speak to this idea of our issue between us and God and our conscience and our guilt. I love this verse. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1. And as you're landing there, I was reading the other day a story. This would have been, I had it saved in my notes. This would have occurred actually on June 29th of last year. June 29th, 2022. Carry story, by, uh, story carried by today.com. Of a father who died by suicide. I emphasize in our morning session today not to refer to it as committed suicide. A father died by suicide shortly after his toddler son perished after being left in a hot car. And the story was basically he forgot about his, his child the child perished in the back seat. This car was baked, and, and the dad went out, and you could see just even from the logistics of it, dad discovers what has happened, and he goes out in the woods behind his house, and he takes his life. Doesn't know how to process the guilt that he feels. Do you know how often we as God's people, if you know Jesus as Savior, take for granted that we can be absolved of guilt so quickly and so thoroughly? How often we don't steward it well, we're not grateful for it, and we don't take advantage of it. 
in the right sense as frequently as we should. There's no clinical treatment. There's no, there's no psychological or psych- psychiatric approach that can deal with sin the way our God deals with it. That's an amazing thing. It's also a stewardship thing. And so may we steward that well in the moments God has for us yet on this planet. Look here in Romans 8 and verse 1. There is therefore, and I would encourage you to circle this word, now. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The temptation is to say, well, I know someday we'll be free of sin and guilt and all of that. Yeah, we will, but we can experience that fully today. We can be free of condemnation, not just from others, but from inside of us if we are in Christ Jesus. I want to show you this last graphic because this choice, let me give you these recommended books and then I'll get to the graphic. So these are a few books that speak on this subject. I've given you a few for all of our sessions. So Gentle and Lowly, we went through in our small groups, is a really good book on viewing Jesus and God through a different profile. He's not this big, heavy-handed, holy, wrath-filled God. Only, he is that in some sense, but through Jesus, he gives us the profile of gentle and lowly, uh, a great book um, that we study as a church. Number two, he is not ashamed. Um, I haven't read this entire book. I purchased it based on the recommendation of some others, but by Eric Raymond, it's a newer book by Crossway, really good book on um, dealing with shame and guilt, and I'm looking forward to digging into that further, but it looks like a great read. encourage you to check it out. And then the last one is this. It's a little book I use in counseling called Freedom from Guilt. And it talks about how to process guilt in a way that's, that's honest, but also thorough, uh, and uh, finding release from your burdens. So that's a good little book. Uh, you can buy that either uh, online, uh, you know, get the uh, Kindle version or an ebook, or buy the physical book. I think it's only about 30 pages, 25, 30 pages. So that would be a good little uh, booklet uh, if you're trying to help someone or you're trying to work through something yourself. But those would be a few books of resource. All right, let me show you this last uh, graphic. So... This is what we brought, everything's to this moment. If you haven't paid attention to anything except this, make sure you get this. So we sin, we all sin, right? Can we all admit that? And then we all feel certain levels of shame based on where we're at with our conscience and with the Holy Spirit. And then we have two options. The first would be go to the left and we start feeling self-pity. And you notice that. um, And then we have, you can't really see the S there very well, but sabotage. Then we sabotage things. We sabotage relationships Uh, We sabotage other things that we influence, um, and then that leads to sin again. And I see people on that hamster wheel, and it just and then and then they do it again, and then and and the guilt-ridden life is just a destructive cycle that just wears you down. And it would encourage you. It lands with this question: What's wrong with me? Um, That's what fuels that cycle. The positive would be sin leads to shame, and that's that's a healthy thing when the conscience is everything it should be. Um, And that leads to surrender to Christ, which then leads to repentance, which then frees us. You don't see us going back in the cycle. Do we sin again? Yes, but it frees us from that cycle. So sin to shame, to surrender to Christ, to repentance. And, And that is a choice that we make. And here's what I would ask you, two things, and we'll finish. Number one, what is the cycle you're in right now? And does it at least lean toward the left The way to break that is the next time you bump into your shame and guilt, instead choose to surrender to Christ, who he is and what he's done for you, and allow him to bring about his redemptive work. Do not believe that ultimately new sin will help you feel better about past sin. Um, I deserve this. I need this. Needs, listen to me, a lot of our needs are just idols, okay? 
needs, we claim I need this as a man, I need this as a woman, I need this as a teenager, um, man, needs often are just idols. But to be very careful not to convince yourself of that. And if you will choose to do what you're supposed to do with shame, God will free you. They're, they're the worst thing in this room that we all would take an intake of air if we knew what you did or someone else did to you. The grace of God is more than abundant. I can boldly, based upon the word of God, tell you there's nothing outside the scope of his grace. Don't question his faithfulness. Don't question his justness. Come to him uh, with your guilt. All right, let me give you a couple of steps. Can I give you these as we finish? I know we, our time is done, but I think it's worth giving these two. These are be practical steps you can take with guilt. Number one, confess them to God, would you? So jot this down. Confess your guilt to God. Simple steps here. Number two, learn to handle the shame. So confess it to God. Number two, learn to handle the shame. Don't, don't go off the deep end with that. So confess your sins. Learn to handle shame. Thirdly, go to the Bible for guidance. If your shame and guilt is just your flesh, you're going to get out of bounds. Let the word of God direct those feelings that you have. So confess your sin to God, learn to handle the shame, go to the Bible for guidance. Number four, keep on asking for forgiveness. Um, I don't know if you're like me, things I do over and over, I just, it's so hard to come with God with it again. Do you notice that? It's like idiot for the umpteenth time. God doesn't think that way. He is not a man. Aren't you thankful for that? Our God is not a man. And all the ladies, amen that wholeheartedly, okay? Um, God doesn't think about our sin the way we think about it. He got into this mess already knowing the full scope of what you were going to frustrate him with and bother him with and inconvenience. He, he knew all of it. He got into it with his eyes wide open. So keep asking for forgiveness. Don't ever believe that you can sin your way so far away from God that he can't forgive you and cleanse you. Don't buy that. We know where that narrative comes from. And then lastly, number five. Experience the peace of God. This is key, by faith. It's not by feelings. It's not by even facts. It's by faith. I believe God that 1 John 1, 9 is still true. If I confess, he is faithful. He is just. And so ultimately it comes down to faith and trust and confidence in God. This question, and we'll pray, will you allow God to help you respond and resolve the guilt of yourself before God by losing the dirty habits, and by gaining the cleansing commitments. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word.